This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. This time on Out of Water, we're bringing you excerpts from a message by Pastor Sam Kastensmith in his series, The Miracle Behind the Miracles. In this episode, Pastor Sam walks us through two miracles that Jesus performed on the Sea of Galilee. Both miracles involved terrifying storms and the God who commands them. But beyond the stunning realization that Jesus reigns over all of nature, what can we glean from this story regarding his gospel? Let's go to the Ingram Center Theater at Rio Vista Community Church and Pastor Sam Kastensmith. Tonight starts with a guy who wrote a book, which I'd recommend to you. His name's Lee Strobel. If you're familiar with A Case for Miracles, in that book, he kind of walks through uh, some examples of miracles and some of the foundational ways to view miracles. And so this is one of the miracles that he investigated and did some interviewing on, which I think is just a cool story that a lot of us can, can relate to. So the first story took place several years ago in a little village in Africa, right along the equator. It was a place with no electricity, no hospitals, no pharmacies, um, no incubators for newborns, uh, very few medical supplies. And a woman uh, died during childbirth, and she left behind a little two-year-old girl and this newborn, prematurely born little boy. And they knew that the life of this fragile, prematurely born child was at risk because people don't generally think about it on the equator, but it gets really cold there at night. And they knew they needed to keep this fragile child warm during the cold evening. So they took a hot water bottle and filled it with hot water. But as the helper was doing that, it burst and destroyed the hot water bottle. And it was the last one in the village. And they knew without that hot water bottle, Chances are that little fragile child would not live through the night. Well, there was a missionary doctor in the village from Northern Ireland. Her name is Dr. Helen Rosevere. And she gathered together all of the orphans and said, let's pray for this little newborn boy. And so the orphans began to pray. But one little 10-year-old girl by the name of Ruth seemed to go too far. She prayed this. She said, please, God, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, God, because the baby will be dead. So please, send it this afternoon. And then as if that weren't audacious enough, then she added this. And she said, oh, and God, while you're at it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know that you really love her? The missionary doctor said later, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen? I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh, yeah, I know he can do everything. The Bible said so, but there are limits, aren't there? I mean, the only hope of them getting this hot water bottle that this child needed to survive would be as if it, if it were to arrive in a package sent from home. And in the four years that that doctor worked in that village, not one package had ever arrived from home, not one. 
Besides, if someone's packing a package, a care package for people on the equator, the last thing you think you're going to include would be a hot water bottle, right? Well, a couple of hours later, a Jeep pulled up and dropped off a 22-pound package. And the orphans pounced on it, and they're sorting through the content. There was some clothes for them. There were some bandages for the leprosy patients. There was some food and so. And the missionary said this, as I put my hand in again, I felt the, could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. And she burst into tears. She said later, I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. And with that, little Ruth rushed forward and said, well, if God sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. And so she dug through the package, and sure enough, at the bottom of the package, she found it, a beautifully wrapped little doll. And Ruth said, can I go over with you, mummy, and give this dolly to that little girl so that she'll know that Jesus really loves her? Well, friends, that parcel was packed by the missionary's former Sunday school class in Northern Ireland five months earlier. The leader felt led by God to include a hot water bottle, and a little girl contributed the doll. And this package, again, the only one ever to arrive, happened to be delivered the very same day that little Ruth prayed for it with the faith of a child. So here's the question. Was that just a curious coincidence, or is it a miraculous answer to a little girl's prayers? So there is is some truth to, you know, you look at miracles, and it can be the wild miracles where somebody's healed, and and it's, it's stunning. But then there's also an element to the miraculous where you see God intervening in your life in ways that are really powerful. I remember a season... Uh, when Laura and I were freshly married, um, I had gone from having a job that was <laughs> financially lucrative to uh, not having a financial job and ministry that was lucrative. And so our savings were plummeting. Everything was going through the floor. And I started asking as a seminary student this question. I've got all these things. Where can I cut? And you know what the first one that came to my mind was? Tithing. Maybe, maybe that's what can give. And so Laura and I decided to have a serious conversation about our finances. And so we went out to dinner at Ruby Tuesdays, which is what all responsible people do when they're struggling with their finances as they go out on a, a dinner date. And we said, you know what? Like if we have to cancel our cable and our television and our phones and everything else then that's what we're going to do, but we're not going to, to walk away from, from our commitment. And so anyway, which was, which was hard. And so we left there, and on the way home, we stopped off at a Chevron station, which is right next door to the Ruby Tuesdays. And I filled up my gas, and this is when gas was super expensive. And I filled up my tank, and then I noticed that it was $4 on the pump. $4 for the entire tank of gas. And I was like, well, that's not right. And what I figured out is instead of putting the dollar amount where the dollar amount should be, they put four gallons for one dollar instead of four dollars for one gallon. And so they'd flip this around. So I went into the store manager and I said, your pump's wrong. And he didn't speak very good English and eventually got angry at me and thought I was complaining about the price and told me, leave, leave, go away. And I was like, 
all right. All right. I still feel, I wonder if I should be sending a check to like Chevron headquarters. But, but anyway, so we get home and, and I don't know all the timing of this, but it was like within a day or two or something like that, there's a message on our answering machine. We've got kids. We're running out of space. And it's a, a friend of ours who says, hey, I just wanted to know, we, we have this property and we were looking for somebody to give it to or to rent it to who was in seminary or maybe a teacher at the school and we'd love to give you this three-bedroom, two-bath right next to Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church for $900 a month. And so after we haggled, no, I'm kidding, $900 a month, you can't live in a shoebox here for $900 a month. So after that, my transmission went out. Like, everything is just, like, crazy. And then I get called down into the front office where I was working at the time, and the lead accountant says, you've been getting the wrong amount in your paycheck for the last two years. So we owe you this, and it ended up being the exact cost of the transmission plus, like, $40. And it was like, you look at that, like some, somebody in the accounting department was making mistakes two years in advance of us offering up those prayers saying, all right, we're in big need, like we're, we're struggling. Is that miraculous? To me, it felt miraculous for sure. But I'll tell you what it is. It's, this is the kindness of God in heaven knowing in all of his sovereignty exactly what you're going to need and when you're going to need it and bringing about what you need when you need it. And that's miraculous. Like we've talked about before, the definition of a miracle is when the order of heaven, the way things are supposed to be, invades into this world. Because it's originally designed not to have disease. It's originally designed not to have death and depression and all those things. And eventually that's where we'll be. And so for now, death is the intrusion. It's the intruder. It's the outside. And God is restoring what he's originally designed us to have. And so let's jump in. And the first miracle uh, that we left off, we were talking about this, the miracles around the Sea of Galilee. And we covered the first miracle, which was the catch, the miraculous catch of fish where Peter says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And then the end where again there's this miraculous catch of fish and God is just really tenderly restoring Peter at that time. He's saying, I'm not walked away from you. You're still mine. And so this is the second miracle on the Sea of Galilee, and it's when Jesus calms the storm. And this one and the third miracle both involve storms. And the reason why the Sea of Galilee is so prone to have storms is it it lies at the bottom of a bunch of mountain ranges. So if you've ever been to Israel and you go to the Sea of Galilee, all around it, are these hills and mountains. And so what happens is different temperature air comes and then swoops down into there and it creates pretty volatile weather. And so these storms come upon the Sea of Galilee all the time. And so Mark, the Gospel of Mark tells us, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them, and a great windstorm. And the, and the word here, they translate this windstorm, but if you're reading the Greek, it says seismos megas. What do, you, what do you think seismos is? Earthquake, right? Like a seismograph, I think it's called, where they measure earthquakes. It's a great shaking 
megas, a great shaking. And everywhere else in the Bible, that's translated a great earthquake. It's usually apocalyptic language. So this is like, this isn't just like, oh, it's pretty stormy out. This is like something that's very, very, very atypical. This is a great shaking, and it's really freaking them out. So this great shaking, the seismos megas, arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was starting to fill. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And when you read this story, if, if you're like the first century where they're just trained up in the scriptures, as you're reading this, you're already going, oh, this sounds really familiar. And by the way, the reason why these guys are incredibly terrified, boats in the first century were pretty terrifying. Like, if I was on glassy seas, I'd be terrified. So they, they found an ancient first century boat stuck in the mud, and it was preserved in the mud, and it's now in a museum that's on the shore of Galilee. That's it. It looks like I made that thing with, like, sticks that fell off the fruit tree in my backyard, just randomly, and then covering it with pitch and tar. And, like, look how thin the walls of that boat are. And it's a big boat, by the way. But you're just waiting for that thing. I mean, it feels like it would touch water and go, boom. So this is the kind of boat that they're out on the sea in. And Jesus, in the midst of this great shaking, is sleeping. Which should make you go, what? Why is it telling us that? That seems impossible. There's this great storm and here's Jesus and he's sleeping. Well, the reason why I'm convinced that this is happening is it's supposed to remind you of another story that we've talked about before. And that's the story of Jonah. So in the book of Jonah, it says the Lord hurled a great windstorm or great wind upon the sea. There, there we go. We got a storm. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for him. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So this story is it wants you to stop and go, wait a minute, is this telling me that he's like Jonah? Hmm, okay, that's, that's really interesting. And then, then it goes on, and we know how the story of Jonah goes. It says, so they picked up Jonah. He's in rebellion against God. They're all praying. They're figuring out why in the world are the gods sending this tempest on us. And Jonah says, it's because of me. I'm in total rebellion. And he says, you want the storm to come, you've got to get rid of me. Throw me overboard. And so to save everyone else, they take Jonah, they hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so in this, like if you're walking through, you see the gospel in here. This one man being thrown into the sea, and we've talked about this every week. What does the sea represent? Death, always. It's, it's almost always, deep seas are always death and judgment. And so here's a man who is plunged into the emblem of death, and it brings peace and deliverance to everyone else, right? And so now they're on the sea. The disciples are, are freaking out. Water's coming in the boat. They're thinking, oh my goodness, we're about to sink. How in the world can this guy be sleeping? And it says, and he awoke now, what are they expecting? If the story of Jonah carries true, God is going to have to intervene. 
right? They're in the boat. Somebody's going to have to be tossed over for God to intervene. And so he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace. And that word literally is siopa. And it literally means hush. Like, can you imagine that? Standing up and saying to the storm and the sea, hush, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the seas obey him. That's the right question. He gets up, he says, hush, be still. This guy controls the storms. He controls the sea, the emblem of death, and with a command, it lies powerless to come against those that he's with. And I love this, but it says, and there's something very real about this, it says they go from being afraid, and then they're afraid of the storm, Then Jesus stands up and says, hush, be still. And everything goes, and it's totally calm. And then what happens? Then they are filled with great fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Here, they're in the boat. The storms are going. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. It's going to overtake us. Look at all these circumstances around me that I can't control. I live in fear of them. And then God stands up and says, Hush, be still. And it obeys. Who is this in this boat with me? He's, He's in control of all things. I shouldn't be afraid of the hurricane. If anything, I need to have reverential awe for the one who commands the hurricane. So we should have reverential fear. This God is amazing. Look what he can do. Look what he can command. Look what he can control. But my goodness, look how much he loves me. All that power, all that holiness, all that mercy and grace is for me. To infinite measure... And they're right. Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. The Psalms answer this question. Psalm 89 verse 9, it says, You rule the raging of the sea. When when its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107 says, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then... They were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. This is the God who controls all things. Here's another miracle. Now to an amazing story, a First Coast News exclusive, a rescue at sea. Two Jacksonville teenagers are back on dry land tonight after getting stranded in the middle of the ocean. Now this happened on Senior Skip Day, and tonight we're hearing not only from those students, but from the boater who came to their rescue. First Coast News' Crystal Bailey is live in the Information Center. Crystal, this is just an incredible story. Yes, this is the kind of story you'll be glad you stayed up to watch. It's unbelievable. Tyler Smith and Heather Brown say they were exhausted from treading water, ready to give up, when God literally answered their prayers. I just cried out, and I was like, 
God, please don't let this be the end. Tyler Smith and Heather Brown, seniors at Christ Church Academy in Mandarin, decided to swim towards an island off Volano Beach, but rocky waters and a strong current kept them from their destination. And at that point, I also recognized that I don't see the rocks anymore. Like, we're, I don't see the rocks anywhere. I looked to the right and to the left, and there's no rocks to swim to anymore. It was just the island, which seemed like it was getting further and further away from us. They were out of sight from people at the beach. We were both dead tired at that time. My legs started to cramp, and all we could do was float and hold hands. He was the first one to just start just, like, calling out to God, honestly, just, like, praying for strength to swim. Praying for a miracle when a boat appeared. It wasn't until we got closer that I realized they didn't have life jackets on and they were treading water. Um, both of them were barely keeping their heads above water at that time. Um, and then we kind of realized how frantic the situation was. Eric Wagner says the seas were rough when he heard screams and an arm flail over the swells. So he turned his boat around. It just, it just like came out of nowhere. It really, it really did come out of nowhere. And pulled Tyler and Heather from the water. I was just screaming like, help, like over here, please. Um, and I see this like shaded like hand through like the screen like wave back at me and I'm like this is it this is it we're getting out of here it wasn't until after they were aboard that they found out the name of the boat they said the name of our boat is the amen I was I started crying Wagner says they were two miles away from shore when he found them shivering and pale you begged for his help in prayer and he answered oh my gosh uh, we wouldn't have been there without it now, shortly after they climbed aboard the boat, Wagner's crew called the U.S. Coast Guard. A rescue crew came to pick them up and took them back to shore. Now they're living to share their testimony, saying that God waited until they cried out before he sent them someone to save them. Now, the teens will be graduating from Christ Church Academy in a couple of weeks. Reporting live from the newsroom, Crystal Bailey, First Coast News, on your side. Isn't that cool? It's just coincidental, though. All right, so moving on to the next miracle, miracle number three on the Sea of Galilee. This is a, a familiar one. It's Jesus walking on the water. It's really, I love this miracle. It's really wonderful. Jesus is having a rough day, just so you know. When this day starts, he's found out that John the Baptist, his cousin, is dead. He's fed the 5,000. He's exhausted. And so it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Don't miss that. While he dismissed the crowds. So he stands back and handles crowd control and lets them get a head start. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land being beaten. And that, the word there in Greek, basanizo, is, it literally means like it's the word used when demons are tortured. It's a word used when a woman is in the height of child labor. It's like this boat is being rocked. And it's being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, so fourth watch of the night, there was three-hour shifts. And so it would start from 6 o'clock, and it would go three hours until you got back to 6 o'clock, and then it would be the watches of the day. And so the fourth watch of the night goes from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So it's darkness. This is, this is when nobody should be awake. And the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
So this, this story starts when at evening, Jesus sends them away. So let's say evening is 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock at, at night. They're now at least at 3 a.m. and they're still rowing. So they've been rowing, trying to get, and Sea of Galilee is not that massive. It's, it should not take them this long to get across the Sea of Galilee. But they're rowing against the wind, trying to get to the other side. They get stuck in the storm. They've been rowing for nine hours. How many of you have ever rowed a boat for hours? So Laura and I go kayaking sometimes. I love kayaking. But if we go for too long, when we get done, it's like, your arms are done. Like, it's an intense, especially if you're going against the wind. If you stop, you lose all your ground. So it's like nonstop. So they're exhausted. They're out there in the middle of the night when no one should be awake. And all of a sudden, they see this figure coming to them on the water. <laughs> it's pretty terrifying, right? Why are they in this storm? Why are they out in the middle of this storm? And here's something that, that as Christians, like, I love this message because we tend to do this to ourselves a lot. That when life goes bad, we think, okay, where am I in disobedience? Where did I mess up? Why, God, are you doing this to me? Why, what did I do to deserve this? And so here they are at 3 a.m. in the middle of a storm. They're exhausted, and they know that if the boat goes down, they're toast. They don't have the strength to swim. Death seems imminent. And why are they there? Because they obeyed. He sent them. He sent them out into the middle of the storm. Now let your mind wrestle with that for a little bit. Is God good when he sends you out into a storm? Yep. Because he never wastes the storm. We don't like the storm. It's uncomfortable. It's terrifying. We really, really wish it would go away. But God never wastes the storm that he will send your way. And so Jesus comes to them and he, he gives this sermon. It's nine words. But it's God's like favorite sermon, and he gives it again and again and again throughout the scriptures. He says, take heart. That literally means, be of full heart, be courageous, take courage. It's I, do not be afraid. If you're a believer, why should you take courage? Maybe, maybe because the God of the universe has your back. Maybe because he's shown you that he loves you to such a measure that he would go to a cross to redeem you? Like if you're walking through life and you're seeking to honor him and you're seeking to follow after his ways, we should be the most courageous people because we know who writes our story. It is I, which in the Greek, it literally is ego and me. It's two words. It's not it is I. This is a mistranslation. Ego and me, which literally means I am. That's, that's kind of a big deal in Scripture. When Moses is looking to go back to Egypt and he, he's encountering the burning bush and he goes, oh my goodness, this is, this is amazing. I'm, I'm talking with the Lord. And he says, when I go back to Egypt and they ask me, who has sent me? Who should I say that you are? And God says, I am. He's beyond our categories. He doesn't give us a word that we can go, okay, he's limited here. The only one he can compare himself to is himself. He's in an entirely new league. So his name is I am. That's it. That's all we get. And here's Jesus saying, I am. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. If there is anyone in the world who has the authority to tell you that you have no reason to be afraid, 
It is the one who knows all of your yesterdays, who knows every detail of your today, who knows all of your tomorrows. He's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the beginning, he's the end. He knows how it all plays out. He is the only one who can look to you and say, you have no reason to fear. None. When I was in high school, I was a junior and I was dating a cheerleader who was a senior. Anyway, I went over to her house and they're in the middle of watching a movie. And I walk in and the dad is like, he's a a good old boy who's terrifying to start with, right? And so I walk in and they're all watching a movie called Eight Seconds. If you've seen it, I'm about to blow the ending for you. It's not worth watching, so you're not missing much. But it's a, it's a movie with Luke Perry, and he is a rodeo rider. And in this movie, it's this tense thing, oh my goodness, they're married, and is, is he going to die? And he keeps having all these episodes, and he dies. <clears throat> Sad movie. So anyway, I come in, and I'm kind of desperate to make a good first impression. And so I walk in, and I'm like, how you doing? And they're like, shh, we're watching a movie. So I'm just kind of awkward. Okay. I said, what you watching? It's like, eight seconds. Shh. And these are my words, I kid you not. Oh, is this the movie where the guy dies at the end? (laughs) But let me tell you what that did. That was my last date. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But I think it was the last time I ever picked her up at her house. So what that did, prior to that, everybody's on the edge of their seat watching this movie, right? They're all interested. What's going to happen? 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 And the moment I said, is this the movie where the guy dies at the end? It was like, oh, why did you do that? No tension at all. No interest in being concerned about what's going to go on with the rest of the movie, right? We live our lives on the edge of our seats, don't we? With our knuckles gripped around the chair wondering, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's, what's God going to do here? What, what, what's the outcome? If God walked into your living room and he said, I know how this turns out, this is the life where everything works out in the end. Would you still... Be on the edge of your seat walking through life? Because here's, here's reality. He's kind of said that. And so if anybody can come to you and say, be courageous. Go do big things for my namesake. Like risk much for my namesake because psh, I'm in charge. I am. Don't fear. We should be the most courageous, amazing people in this world because we have insight on how the story goes. We have a God who's in control of all these things. And it says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And I love that too. Here's Peter, who's usually putting his foot in his mouth, who here says something pretty brilliant. He doesn't say, Lord, can I come to you? He says, command me. Why? Because Peter has come to know that if the Lord commands it, it's safe. Command me, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. 
So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And, and so the way that the church now, remember, like one of the things that we don't want to do when we're examining a miracle is go, how did that happen? Maybe, and you'll hear people go, maybe, maybe the water was frozen. And so we try to explain away, but the question that we want to know here is the why, not the how, not the what, not the when or all that stuff. It's the why that makes these miracles profound. And so he comes walking on the water. How many of you in here have ever done that thing where you stand on the edge of your pool and go, all right, I really believe? Never works, right? That doesn't seem to, why? Because that's not what this miracle is suggesting. Like to say that a human being can walk on water is absurd. We're meant to see that's absurd. It's not that we go, all right, well, if I really believe... But as we've talked about already, what does water always represent? Death. And so now, when Peter fixes his eyes on Jesus and has faith, he's treading over top the emblem of death. And so he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. How do you see the wind? This is a pretty bad storm. The waves are capping. It's crazy, right? He was afraid. So he's, he fears. He begins to sink and he cries out this prayer that should be on our lips all the time, by the way. Lord, save me. And then Jesus said, you messed it up again? I think I'm done with you now. Like, come on. No, it says Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when he got in the boat... Here we go again. The wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Where else do we hear, Truly, you are the Son of God? The centurion. When Jesus is on the cross, and he's crying out, it is finished, and he's, he's making all these unbelievable, gracious, powerful statements from the cross, the centurion The one who is in charge of his torture, when he sees the way that Jesus died and breathed his last, cried out, truly, this man was the Son of God. The why is that Jesus is the God of all things. He controls the nature. He controls the wind. He controls the waves. He is master over death. He treads over them. And by faith, so do you. Be courageous. Do not fear. Thanks, Sam. And thank you, friends, for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give us a good rating. That will help others find the podcast also. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.com.